0: good morning y'all good morning um my name is dustin if you're new i get the privilege of serving as a pastor and so welcome we are uh excited you're here so um if you have your bibles we're going to be in matthew chapter six um this morning there we are um we're going to be in matthew chapter six so if you want to start flipping there that's where we'll be Um, I was trying to figure out a way, honestly, this morning, you guys, to change up how I walk out uh, this Tuesday. One of the uh, college students thought it'd be funny, and they were kind of mocking how I come out the same way every time with my hand in my pocket. Good morning, y'all, and the famous clap, like, are y'all ready to get into the Bible this morning? So, anyways, I don't know if I can change that, so... We'll just have to stick with it. But we'll be in uh, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, we're about to start a new series for the next four weeks. And so, if you'll be here, uh, it'll be a little bit different. And so, uh, this morning, we'll be talking about the fun thing of money, right? And so, it's not that we're trying to talk about that because uh, we're in a spot where we're um, in a huge need. We're actually doing very well financially. especially, you know, as new as we are being a new church, and so we're very thankful for that. But just to be proactive to talk about it, um, obviously Jesus talked about it and Scripture talks about it, so we would be doing a disservice to not be being faithful um, to God's Word if we didn't ever talk about it. And so as we talk about this morning, it won't be as much... Of diving deep into like uh, your budget or how you should do this or that, but kind of God's big idea of money, what the purpose is and what um, it means to honor him in that way. And then uh, the the series we're calling this, or we're we're talking about this through is uh, four characteristics of a healthy church. And so we've kind of identified four things that we're going to teach through. And so the first one will be generosity and just money in general. Uh, then we'll talk about uh, community and the importance of community. Then we'll talk about serving, the importance of serving, and then lastly we'll talk about evangelism and the part that plays in the church. And so that'll cover us for July, and then in August we'll pick back up in Acts and we'll finish it for the rest of the year. So we'll be able to get through. It sound good? Y'all good with that? I always ask that like a rhetorical question. Like somebody's gonna come up here and nod, nah, Dustin, we're not not good with that. Okay, so um, we're we're good with that. It's gonna be good. I'm actually excited about it. So. Um, let me read starting in Matthew chapter 6 uh, verse 19 and um, I'm going to read verses 19 through 24 and so uh, if you're not super familiar with where where this is coming from and what we'll be doing and so uh, let me just give you an idea so the, the first four books of the New Testament which you have the Old Testament which was before Jesus New Testament after Jesus and the first four books are the accounts of Four people that spent time with Jesus. And they just went through and wrote down uh, pretty much in narrative form what happened with Jesus. And so uh, this is, uh, you could tell Matthew wrote this. And so he's writing this. And it comes in a section that you may know of as the Sermon on the Mountain. This is where Jesus went away and taught a few of his disciples and uh, really taught some pretty big ideas. And so that's where uh, this text comes up. And so this is Jesus talking. And this is what he says, Matthew Chapter 6, verse 19, this is what he says as, relate, as we see will relate to money. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, important verse here. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Verse 24, It gets serious here. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so Jesus had some pretty... Strong words, and so this is what we'll do. We'll pray, and then we'll unpack some of that from just a big picture point of view, and then uh, we'll get to go celebrate being uh, free to worship and free in our country for that. Sound good? Y'all good with that? Good. Everybody excited this morning? Great. Let's pray, and we'll get rolling. See, I can't help but clap. Father, we love you. Um, Thankful for who you are, and thankful for your word, God. Thankful. Uh, that we get to come and that God expound upon it, learn it, uh, God worship together with other believers. And Father, we're just so thankful for, uh, God, the, the freedom to do that. Lord, I pray this morning that your word is always expounded upon accurately, God. I pray that, um, God, that if there's people in here that need to be encouraged, God, and, and given the, the message of hope of what you've done for us on the cross, they would hear that, God. I pray if there's um, some of us in here who need to be convicted, God, and we need to have our lives rearranged around Prioritizing you, God, I pray we would do that. And God, I pray that your word would just pierce us and change us. God, we want to be transformed into the image of becoming like your son, Jesus, as he was here on earth. And so, Father, we love you and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. One thing I, I was going to say before we get rolling. Uh, this week we will not have groups, but if you would, mark your calendars down for July 14th, 21st and 28th. Those are Wednesdays. We'll spend those three Wednesdays as a big church together rather than in our small groups. And so we'll be here the 14th and 28th, and then the 21st we'll be at the park. And so we'd love for everybody to be a part of that. We'll eat together and then have a teaching and be able to spend some time together for the month of July. Sound good? Yep. Awesome. All right. Well, here we go. So I want to do one th- or a couple things before we get to unpacking this message, and I really just want to quickly kind of—I don't want to say clear the air because it's—I don't really feel the need. Um, anytime you bring up things like money, you know, it's like, where's the the pastor going to go? Is he going to tell me that if I give, I'm going to get rich? That's not the message. I'm not here to um, condemn you, right? I'm not here to make you feel guilty about anything. Um, I'm here just to try to be practical um, and expound upon God's word because He obviously cares about it, as he says here. And so, um, but I do want to do two things. I want to just kind of do away with two misconceptions with money in the church. And the first one is this, is that the abuse of money in the church doesn't mean we won't talk about it, right? So think about this with me. If you've been around church long enough... There's, you probably have either heard a horror story or been a part of a horror story of money, right? Um, that where uh, you, you've heard of somebody doing something bad or good or um, something, but it's just the case. And so um, because that's in there, it doesn't mean that we're just going to completely avoid it, right? Think about this. You probably know some marriages or um, some people with kids that just it didn't go well, but it didn't stop you from getting married or having kids, right? And so we're not going to avoid it just because of that. We're going to try to teach on it. Um, just as much as the Bible um, talks about it. And so we're going to do that. Um, I will say I myself, um, when I was the interim pastor at a pastor I was at, we had an issue with that come up and we had to deal with it. So I've been a part of um, hard things with money and um, it's not easy. And so, but at the same time with it, we don't want to run away from it and not avoid it because we would not be faithful to God's word and faithful to Christ if we did that, does that make sense? Y'all follow me on that idea. We want to be able to do both and do things both well. It's interesting, you know, when you bring up something like money. Um, people usually fall on a long spectrum of it, but usually one or the other. It's usually the first thing people ask about. Um, this happens all the time. There'll be a first-time guest um, come into church. We'll call them the next week. Hey, how was it? Well, how does your church do this with money, right? And it's a big deal to people. Some people, and I don't think this is healthy either, but some people could absolutely care less, right? If I showed up in a different color Ferrari every week, and um, you know what I mean? And it just seems like we're just uh, spending it and not being wise or stewarding our money well. You need to care enough about it to think that we as a church are stewarding it well for God's mission and God's kingdom. Do y'all follow me there? We don't need to be either way um, with it. We want to be balanced and have a healthy view of it as we see in scripture. It wasn't something that, it's not the only thing Jesus talked about, but it is something Jesus talked about, and so we just want to reflect that as a church. And then the second one is, I understand money can be sensitive, right? Money's just a sensitive topic. If you bring up sex and money, those two things are like taboo. But at the same time, it once again, it doesn't mean we don't want to have anything to do with it, right? Um, money can be sensitive for a couple of reasons. It can be sensitive because you have bad experience with it, or it can be a uh, Something that's sensitive to you because it's something that you're convicted about. And I think either one is the same way. We don't want to completely avoid it um, because that's not what God's told us to do, right? Um, I don't think anybody would want to come to a church where the pastor is like, well, guys, we're just going to not talk about something that could be a little sensitive. I don't think anybody wants that, right? We, we want to be godly people. We want to be a godly church. And so we're going to talk through the things that God talks through and so um, it does get brought up and so we're going to do it. Does that sound good? Everybody good with that? Air kind of cleared. We ready to unpack a little bit of what Jesus had to say about it. So the first thing we see here, and I think this comes from verse 21 and the entire context we'll talk about, but the first point is this, is that God wants our heart, not just our money. Right? It's easy to think when we come to Christ that um, God's just concerned, or when you read about Jesus, that he's only concerned about certain things. Right, He's concerned about alcohol or sex or money, and we, we highlight these issues because they may be sensitive to us, but that's not what Jesus is wholly concerned with when you read the Gospels. Jesus is concerned with our heart. I want you to think about this, especially from this Sermon on the Mount. Um, if, you, if you know the storyline of the Bible, Moses gets um, these commandments given to him, right? And uh, he gets this law. If you read Leviticus, there's tons of tons of laws that the people of God are called to follow. Well, what Jesus does is when he comes on the scene, he doesn't completely do away with the law. He fulfills the law. Does that make sense? He doesn't say there's now no laws. He now says, I'm going to fulfill it. And really what he does is, is it, we think, well, man, that's nice. Jesus has done away with the law, the the, the hundreds of laws that was given through uh, the prophet Moses to the people that we can now do away with. Our life is now easy. And I think that would be us reading what Jesus teaches here wrong, right? What Jesus does is, is he actually ups the ante. Think about this. One of the things is thou shall not murder. That was a law, right? But what does Jesus say? He doesn't say anything about murder, he says that if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed what? Murder. That is in the text right before this. What Jesus says is, now we're not just going to deal with the external laws, we're now going to make everything a heart issue. You follow me on this? Um, think about this. One of the laws was, "thou shall not commit adultery. What does he do with that one? He says, if you've already committed lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You follow me? So every time we see a law come up, Jesus doesn't do away with it. He fulfills it and usually raises the bar, okay? And so the next question is, well, what about this? Well, what Jesus does with this and what he does with the tithe? Now, in the Old Testament, the word tithe, if you've been around church, it literally means a tenth. The word is the same. In Hebrew, it just means one out of ten. And so what they would do is, is if they didn't have a money system, they could give money. But say they had ten goats. They would give their first and best goat, one out of ten to the church as a sacrifice um, for what Christ had done for them or what God had done for them. And so that would be what would happen. And so what we see here in this is that in this, what Jesus is teaching and what he's doing away with in the law is he's saying, I'm not just concerned about X, Y, and Z. I'm concerned about your heart. I may say this a little later on, but here's the flip side of that. If God has our heart, he will have our money. But just because God has our money doesn't mean he automatically has our heart either, right? It is a very real possibility that you write a check for 10%, and that doesn't make sure you're in the kingdom of God. You follow me on this? Is that Jesus makes all of this a hard issue, and he, and he makes it harder for us, right? Um, if we start unpacking this and just thinking through this, um, it it gives us a, a standard of what should we give then, right? If Jesus doesn't, if he does away with the law, but he says there's still, well, first of all, I think we should, as I was talking with somebody this week, we should probably get on our knees and ask God, what do you want me to give, right? That would be the right thing to do because he's written the law in our heart. But the second thing is, is we look at what God's given to us, and what's far better than money, now the, God that, the money that God gives us is his to begin with, but what God has given us in Christ is way more than what we could ever give back to him in money. Does that make sense? There's no way when we look at the cross, we can outgive what God has already given to us. Because no amount of money can buy us more time than God's given us on earth, right? Say you get 105 years and you're just living it up even in your 80s. You can't buy more time than when it's gone, right? And what God bought us through Christ, through the blood of Christ, gives us eternity with him. And so what God's given us in Christ, if that sets the standard, then all of us in here can't give out God even collectively together or individually. And so when we look at the cross and what God's done for us in Christ, there's no way that we could out give God. But what it does do is it causes us to live in the in-between. It causes us to live in in the, the, the tension of, am I giving enough? Am I resting in God's grace? Right? And I think living in the tension is the most healthy thing when it comes to money. Let me try to explain this a little bit. Say you make $250,000 a year and you tithe $100 a month. You probably need to, if I'm being a faithful pastor, look at your finances and say, maybe I could give more. Right? The flip side of that is, if you make thirty thousand and you're tithing a hundred, or you're, you're giving eight hundred dollars a month, and you can't sleep at night because you're wondering if that's enough, and you feel like God's mad at you, you need to rest in God's grace. You follow me here? Is that God's not done this? Listen, for so long it's like we've pressed God on people, and there, there's a healthy side of that that we need to be holy, and we have next steps. But the flip side is, we need to learn to enjoy what God's given us at the same time. And here's the deal. There's, there's not a one-size-fit-all to throw this out at you guys. You see what I'm saying? Um, it, it, it's kind of like we, we talk about this just as an illustration with a sermon. If you can sit down one-on-one with somebody, it's like you're taking a cup and pouring it straight into their cup, and it's a little easier conversation to figure out. But right now, it's like... I don't know which side of that fits you, right? There may be somebody in here that has just stretched himself and has given and given, and it's like you think God's mad at you. and you, and, And what God is saying to that person is you can rest in God's grace knowing that you have given enough, right? You don't need to give more to earn your way to heaven. That's not how giving works. But the flip side is, is that if you look at your finances and God's pushed way to the bottom, then you're losing out on blessings number one, but and, and being a part of God's kingdom going forward. Um, you're losing out on that, but does your finances show that God is first in your life? you follow me on this? Is that there's two sides, and most of us in here probably fall somewhere in on that spectrum, but we have to at least be willing to evaluate our life and say, Does God have my heart? Because if God has our heart, he will have our money too, right? It's just a natural thing. We don't want to do away with one or the other. The thing we realized then too is that we realized that everything that God's already given us is his to begin with, right? Think about this. It it just gets me thinking, and I think this is kind of probably one of the hardest things is, is if we're all transparent in here, myself included, is that we think that we've, this is ours, that we've earned it. And there's a truth to that, right? We earn that wage. But the gifts that you use to earn that wage, we didn't earn. You follow me here? None of us were in our mother's womb saying, make me smart enough to go be an engineer. Or make me smart enough to go be a teacher. Or make me smart enough to do this. Or God, give me the ability to walk. Give me the ability to talk. Give me the ability to have social skills. Give me the ability to just learn in general. Listen, all of that was given to us by who? Our creator, God. And so when we see that, we see that everything that we have in life is not ours to begin with, but rather it is given and taken away by God, right? That he is the one in control. He is sovereign. And so when we see that, it gives us a different glimpse into God and what he's given us. And then how we spend money when it's in our possession becomes a great indicator of where God stands in our life. Because follow me with this. Say you have money and you're trying to be wise and you're trying to set yourself up for a retirement account and you give X amount of dollars to a financial advisor or to a retirement fund or something, you give them that money for them to do with as they please for you. You follow me on that? That's how that would work. You give that money to somebody else. Now, in a way, they are free to go spend that money how they want, but really, they're not the owner of that money. Right? You still own that money. They're just stewarding that money for you. That's how that would work. Now, think about this. When we think of that, we think in that story, as us with our money, is that we're the owner and we're giving somebody else to steward it. But the best illustration with that with God is, is that we're the middleman, we're the one that has got the money from another place. And we're now the ones stewarding that money. Does that make sense? It's like everything else we have. If you were in here for the parenting classes, we talked about kids are not ours first. Our kids are God's first. And we steward them for God and for God's kingdom. It's the same with our money. God's given it to us as a tool for us to play a part in God's kingdom, right? God wants to use believers' money to extend God's kingdom, and so we give to that collectively so that we can push God's mission forward as a practical sense. But the other thing is, is that it becomes a lot easier to give when we realize that everything that we already have has been given to us first. You follow me on this? And that's an important thing to realize. And listen, I don't say that because it's like, oh, well, Dustin's just got that figured out. He's a preacher. no. That's a reality that all of us need in here, right? We all need to come to grips with that idea often that everything we have is a gift from God, right? And gifts we have from God are not only to bless us, but rather for us to steward those so that now we can be a blessing to others. Listen, we're so open to doing that with all kinds of other things. We talk about this often in our church, but it's like we divide our gifts and how we want to use them and what God wants is our heart. Check this out. There's some people in churches in general that you ask them to do something and they will jump on it, right? I will do anything for the church, but church, don't try to touch my pocketbook, right? And then there's people that are the flip. I wrote my check to the church. I'm not doing anything else, right? And what God would say to us and what this passage teaches us is that if God has our heart, He doesn't have one or the other. He has what? He has both. And that's where we need to be as people pursuing after God is that not that anything is off limits. Listen, not just money, but any area of your life. If we've said, God, you can have everything but this area, this area is off limits, then we've missed the first part of this. We don't have an issue with money. We have an issue with God having our heart. And we need to talk about that first because if God doesn't have our heart, then of course the conversation of money is way further down the list of where we need to be. You follow me on this? And so we realize that God wants our heart, not just our money. The second thing we see, I think is important from this passage, and we'll unpack it from a couple of verses, is that money is a temporary gift for an eternal purpose. Money is a temporary gift for an eternal purpose. Anybody ever heard the phrase that um, you don't see, uh, uh, what is it, something behind hearses, um, trailers behind hearses, right? You don't get to pack up all the stuff you spent money on and put it in the grave with us, right? That's not how it works. But rather, money is a temporary gift for us to steward on earth for an eternal impact. Listen, that's why giving to the church, and listen, I will say this if, if giving to a church is like something you're you're not real sure about, that's fine. Have a but put your money towards something that's gonna last eternally, right? That's why giving to the church is so important. The, the, the goal is, and we talk about this often, is that your grandkids and their grandkids and the next generation, and the next generation, are still impacted by Connection Church Athens. And so when you give to this, you're giving to a generational impact of eternal difference that we're given to. It's a temporary gift for us but it has an eternal purpose. Let's read verses 19 and 20 again and listen to what it says. It's pretty practical. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal where your treasure is there your heart will be also. And then he goes into it more. We'll get into these verses in just a second. The eyes, the lamp of the body. Think about this. Most of the time when we want something, it's because it appeals to our what first? Our eyes. And it usually appeals to our eyes when our eyes haven't been on God's word that morning. You follow me? That's when that, that quick trail starts going down. So if your eye is healthy... If you've read God's Word, if if your sight is God's sight, if you have an eternal perspective when you wake up daily, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, a.k.a., If we've just been on Facebook Marketplace like me for several hours and you see a lot of things people are selling that you wish you had, right? Or um, if you look at other people and what they have and play the comparison game, it's going to make our eyes bad because our eyes are not going to be set on Christ and what he's done for us and our eternal purpose. Then what it says is your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... How great is the darkness? If the one thing that God's given us to push darkness away goes away, then all we have is darkness left. What I think they're saying there is is that we have to intentionally pursue the light, right? Um, We have to intentionally pursue God's word for it to change us. Listen, there's no such thing as cruise control. If if we drift, if we just follow the drift, we're going to drift into darkness. We're never going to accidentally drift into the light of Christ. We're never going to accidentally become more godly. Godliness comes through intentional Action. Otherwise, we will say like Jesus says here, how great will the darkness be? It got me thinking, and I think this is very important for us to understand, but money is a tool. It's not happiness, right? One of the greatest things our culture teaches, and I think it's easy for us to get caught up in, is that our joy is to be found in God, not things given from God, Right? And money is a thing that's given from God. Money's just a tool, but what we do is is we make money the ultimate. And what we realize then is is that we don't want to say this often, but we end up becoming slaves to money. Because think about this. Money drives where we live. Money drives what we do. Money drives how we spend our free time. Money drives our whole life. But we wouldn't dare say that I'm a slave to it. You follow me here? And so what we do is is we say, well, how can I not be a slave to money? Well, the way you cannot be a slave to money is by becoming a servant to Christ. Is Let Christ be where your joy is found and build your life outward from there. Listen, (laughs) if money was the end goal, rich people would always be happy and poor people would always be sad. And I guarantee you all of us in here know a rich person who ain't very joyful to be around. And we know a lot of people that have a lot less than us that seem a lot happier than us. Can I get an amen? I mean... That's just how our society works. But the issue is is that we don't do that. I was talking to somebody this week, and this is what they said. And I will say the person is pretty well off for being their age. They said, you know, I was talking to so-and-so this week, and the couple's actually pregnant, has a baby on the way, and they didn't even know what a bottle holder was or how to dry the bottles. And, you know, they're just so carefree. They just enjoy life. And I'm sitting there thinking... This person is basically telling me that they're jealous of how not driven and how not driven by money or uh, uh, image or all these things. They're almost jealous of that when this person has, from the American's eyes, they should be the ones that are happy and they should be the ones that are not. You follow me on this? And this person is jealous of this person. What I would say is most of our issues in America, we usually find ourselves, right? Think about this. I'll never forget. All the toys that I get frustrated opening for Dax. There are a lot of dads in third world countries that don't go through any of the frustration I go through. You know why? Because their kid is happy without it. You see what I'm saying? And and listen, it's not that toys are bad. That's not my point here. right? My, My point is not that we shouldn't give things to our kids to enjoy. My point is that when we pursue what the world tells us to pursue, we're going to bring more problems on ourselves. Jesus made it very simple when he said, I am the bread of life, right? Come to me and you will be satisfied. I am the living well. What we do then is we do exactly what Adam and Eve is and we do what Paul said not to do in Romans 1 is we make created things God and we worship those created things over God. And when we do that, our whole life gets out of whack and it just starts falling downhill out of fast pace that we can't even keep up with and then it's the next thing and then it's the next thing and if I have the next raise then I'll be satisfied because if I get the raise I can get the next thing and it just becomes like a hamster on a wheel right And we talk about this often because you'll never retire with enough money you'll 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 want to get to retirement and then you'll realize then that man if I just had if I just put a little more in when I was younger I would be able to do this ask some of the people in here I bet they would tell you that I didn't make that up because I'm wise I've talked to people that have said that before right It's just how it is. And hear me say this. I'm not here to tell you either that you shouldn't take the raise or the promotion. That's good. Like, we can have a healthy, balanced view of money to say, if I have a great opportunity, take it. But don't let that opportunity become your joy in your life. Jesus is our joy in our life. And if he gives us opportunities, we take that and we steward them well For God's kingdom there doesn't have to be an either or we don't have to say that every person right needs to we need to be living in poverty and give more and hey guys guess what we're coming back at 5 p.m. this afternoon because we're all going to bring our whole savings accounts and we're going to be more devoted to Jesus because of that no you could give your whole savings account right now and the rest of your life not be devoted to Jesus and Jesus not even have your heart and therefore you not even enter the kingdom of heaven one day right we can't tie everything to it we can't tie everything to money but we can't tie nothing to it either because Jesus had stuff to say about it. He tied it to our happiness. It got me thinking, and maybe this is a little more illustration than you need, but you know, a couple of the, uh, my, my favorite coaches, and I say coaches, they're my favorite just because I like football, but Kirby Smart and, and Nick Saban have kind of uh, taken on this idea of embrace the grind. Now, why is that a good idea? Why, why does that work? Because if they lose the Saturday before, what was their motto? What was their purpose? Embrace the grind. If they win, what was their purpose? Embrace the grind. It doesn't matter if they win or lose, what's their purpose? Embrace the grind. Now, think about this with me. That's why that motto is transcendent. Because you can be 9-3 and three and you embrace the grind, and you can be 12-0 and 0 and you're embracing the grind. They're saying the point is to embrace the grind, not to win or lose. Now, think about this in a spiritual sense. We are on earth, right, to glorify God. That's our primary purpose is for us to bring glory to God and everything else flows from that. We can bring glory to God, whether our bank account's in a good situation or a bad situation, because our purpose is not to have more money or less money. Our purpose is to glorify God. You see what I'm saying? We can be walking in suffering or walking in the valley, or we could be on top of the mountain and in the best time of our life, and our purpose doesn't change based on either of those. Why? Because our purpose is not to be on the mountain or the valley. Our purpose is to glorify God no matter what comes in this life. You follow me here? We need a transcendent idea. We need a transcendent worldview that gives us a foundation that, no matter what comes in life, we can be sustained through our joy being found in Christ. That's why Paul can write Philippians one, um, uh, uh, in Philippians 1.21, where he says, "For to live as Christ, for me to live as Christ, and to die as gain." What do you do to that man? He didn't say for me to live is to have the next raise and the next amount of money. He's living with Christ. And then you take all his money and put him in prison, he's still able to live. Why? Because living wasn't having more money and things. Living was living for Christ. And he can do that in prison just the way he can not being in prison. And so we need a transcendent idea to come to life with, which is our life is to glorify God, not to win whatever culture teaches us, whatever the American dream teaches us. We're not trying to win at the American dream. I'm not saying they two completely oppose each other, but we're not trying to win at the American dream. We're trying to win at pursuing God and making a difference for his kingdom. And that causes us to shift our perspective a little bit when we start thinking in that way. The last thing I will say about this and just this idea is that one of the things we have to grasp as believers is that God has already given us everything we need on the cross, right? God, listen, we tie God's goodness so often to thank you for saving me, now can you give me blank? Thank you for saving me, now can you do blank for me? And if the blank doesn't happen for us, We now doubt God's goodness, or we doubt God's plan, or we doubt what God is doing. Listen, when we look at eternity, when we look at the cross and what God has accomplished for us on the cross, he has accomplished enough for all of us in here to praise him and worship him, not based on anything else he gives us. And that's the gospel, because check this out. If somebody comes to Jesus because they're promised salvation and more money, then they haven't really come to Jesus. They've come to Jesus for Jesus+. plus. And when you add something to Jesus, you might as well throw Jesus all the way out, because then we go directly against him saying, I am the living well, right? So we need to come to Christ just for Christ. Listen, I really believe that this is why some people in the postmodern area where people are starting to think for themselves are leaving the church. Hey, come to church and you will get blank. And what we do is, is we feed them something that is more than Jesus, something Jesus plus. Rather than saying, come to Christ, understand what he's done for your eternity, read his word, obey him, you will find true joy in Christ alone. And everything else is just extra grace. Why? Because God gives us grace and he loves us and we get to enjoy his blessings and that is awesome. But check this out. There's a time coming, we say this often, to where our lives, all of us are going to come to an end, right? And having Jesus plus in that moment is not going to help us. Having Christ alone in our lives being grounded in Christ alone is what's going to cause us to do that. Listen, when we're at a place, a healthy place of God's already given Dustin everything he needs on the cross for salvation and everything else is extra, then we've truly come to Christ and said, God, I have enough. Thank you for everything else. And then what happens is we start living life out of an attitude of gratitude. I didn't even mean for that to rhyme. That's like something... First, we would teach first graders, right? But we, we come to we come to God, we come to life out of gratitude, and we're thankful. You ever been around somebody who's just not thankful? They, they just always need something else. They're always mad. That shouldn't that shouldn't be the, the 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 running mo for Christians. That shouldn't be what we're known by. We should be known by gratitude. We, we should be known my gratitude because God's given us everything we need on the cross and we're satisfied. We have a place in heaven. We are a child of God. And now we can live life out of that identity that is going to change how we walk in everyday life. We don't always have to have the next thing. If we get it, great. Awesome. Live it up. But we're okay if we don't because God is still good. He's given us everything we need on the cross. You see, it's interesting. I want to read verse 21 quickly because it's a a famous verse. I think that if you leave here and think of a verse, what verse did the preacher preach on this week? You're probably going to think of verse 21, and this is what it reads. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I would say that most of the time we flip that. Right? Most of the time we would say, where your heart is, there your money is. That's probably a true thing, and I hope it is, right? If God has our heart, he has our money. But what Jesus is specifically saying here is that if you see what you spend the most money on, that's probably where your heart's going to be, right? He's saying you can follow your checkbook to what you really care about. And I think if we're in here, that, true for me, true for my family, true for you probably, right? What we spend our money on is where our heart is. And so what it does for us as Christians is it says, hey, if I cannot spend money on this, then I'm not tied down by what culture says. And we, then we start getting in that attractive living again. We talk about that a lot, right? Is that, can you imagine how how interesting is it when people are not tied down by money? Like, I'll never forget when, when people asked, you know, um, why did you move to there? My wife and I moved to the last place I pastored for a few years. Why, why are y'all moving there? Don't you probably go, go get a job, more money? Yeah, we just, you know, we just felt like this is where God wanted us. He wanted us to be a part of planting this church. Wow. And it's not that we did anything that great. It's just that we didn't revolve our life around money. Think about it, right? Think about this. How, how, what are the things we revolve our life around? Stuff like that. And listen, it's not that you shouldn't make any decisions based on money. Right, You need to be wise with it, but there needs to be a healthy place of God being first in our life. Because when we follow our checkbook, we'll often find that. And so it leads us to, we learn that when we have money, what we do with it is one of the greatest indicators of who we are. When God puts money in our hands, it gives us one of the greatest indicators of who we are. Not necessarily what we do, but it tells a lot about who we are and what we care about. The third point, and I think this is a really good one, and I think it probably challenges us the most, but it's it's just good, is this. If you, I probably should say we, because it makes it sound like I'm not included in this, but I am. If we are currently serving money, we are not serving Christ. What does he say in this verse 24? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Either we love God and hate money or hate money and love God, or He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We can't be a servant to money and a servant to God. Money can't tell us what to do and God tell us what to do. Those things will clash at some point. There has to be a healthy place. It got me thinking, what would it look like to serve money? What would it look like to make all your decisions based on money? I think it, money controls a lot of what we do for a living. Just think about how most people make decisions. Don't do that. It's not as much money. Now, where we live, oftentimes we move geographically based on what? Money. How you enjoy your time. How do we enjoy our time? A lot of that has to do with how much money somebody has. And that vacation must be more fun because they spent more money. They went to Hawaii. Listen, if you take three crying kids to Hawaii or you take three crying kids to Winterville Park right here, it's probably going to be about the same amount of fun. One's a lot cheaper than the other, you know what I mean? But it, you see what I'm saying? It's like your attitude and how you do this matters so much. What's controlling us? Man, if I could just be the one to go to Hawaii, my life would be greater. No, no. Because if you don't already understand that what Christ did for you on the cross is enough and you're living your life out of gratitude to God for what he's done for you and given you, it doesn't matter where you go or how much money you spend on something, you will still not be satisfied. It just won't happen that way. It's the truth of what Jesus teaches us. And like Liam said during worship, those things tend to come true in our life. There's a lot of wisdom in here if we would just live by it. It's so interesting, and I think this will be one of the last things I say. um, But both people, and y'all probably heard me say this before on the spectrum, are enslaved by money. There are people, lots, if you just look at statistics, that don't have enough money, and you're enslaved to money. You need more money, right? You're in debt, you need to pay this off, you need to do that, you don't have enough money. You're, You're working out of the red every month, you need more money. That person, we would say, is making all their decisions. They are enslaved to money. And then you have people, on the other hand, that are filthy rich. And we would look at them and say, they don't live paycheck to paycheck. They can't be enslaved by money. And you read that list, they're just as enslaved to money as the person that doesn't have it. Right? Just because you have piles and just because you have none doesn't mean that you're enslaved to it or not. Right? It, what matters is the attitude, the balanced idea that we come to money with, with God's view and mind of money that's going to cause us to not fall and be enslaved on either end. Because we're all tempted to do that. We're all tempted to say, if I had more, it wouldn't be as big a deal. And then these people are saying, man, if I could just have this, then I, I, that's just not enough. I need more. Right? And then both people end up being enslaved to it, and neither one is healthy. There's probably people in here on both sides of that. And what we need to do is, is come to the middle and say, God, how can I use money and see money in the way that you see it? How can money be a tool? How can money not be life? But how can money be a tool in my life so that money's not everything to me, but that money is not nothing to me? Because the reality is we do need it. The last thing I want to do, and I think this is just interesting. You hear us talk a lot about why we're passionate about preaching through books of the Bible. If you notice in the sermon already, I've already mentioned what was before it, the Sermon on the Mount, how God's trying to deal with our heart, not just our external, right? Um, We know that because in the passage before this, he's talking about fasting. You know what he says about fasting in that passage? And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. He's saying when you fast, don't fast to tell other people. Don't go to the Mexican restaurant and say, man, why are you not eating chips? Well, I'm fasting. God sucks. <laughs> that's what they're saying, right? That's, what, that's exactly what that is saying. Don't go bragging about fasting because then you've lost the point because in fasting, God's not trying to deal with the external. He's trying to deal with our what? Our heart. So then he teaches us about money. He kind of challenges us, hey, The culture's coming, and it was the same in Rome 2,000 years ago as it is now to where they want to spend money on things and not care about eternity, and so they want to spend money on that. But guess what the next thing in the passage is? It reminds me of John 3 and John 4, if you know scripture. In John 3, Jesus encounters a religious person that tries to keep the law perfect that you think has it all together, and he comes to him and he says, you're trying to find life in the laws and in the scripture, but you're only going to find life in Christ, right? This person was religious. They did everything right. And then in the next chapter, he encounters the woman at the well who is broken into pieces, you would think has no reason to come around Jesus. And Jesus says, yes, you can still come to the well, and I'll still give you living water because it's only through the blood of Christ that somebody's saved, not by how they look on the outside. You follow me here? It's interesting how scripture is divinely put together with those things. It's the same way here. He says I'm working on the heart in the fasting passage before this in verse 16, verses 19 through 24 he teaches us and challenges us about money. And then in verse 25, guess what he says? You're not going to spend money on all these things. So what do we naturally do? Man, I'm not going to have enough. How am I supposed to make it? I can't. I can't give give Ten percent or whatever and, and, and still live? How is that possible? Guess what he says to that person? It's like he addresses it. Woo, good question. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He's saying, isn't our life more about what's in the inside than on the outside, right? Isn't the body more about than what you can dress it up with? Talk about this all the time. I remember our, our cars are still this way, right? We'll take them suckers through a car wash and they look shiny on the outside. And then you get on the inside, fries in every crack you could find. You know what I mean? That's just how it is. But what Jesus is saying is that our lives, as we build these things, need to be the opposite. We start from the inside out. Change happens from our heart and then goes external. That's why when Jesus has our heart, he will have our money too. But just because Jesus has our money does not mean he has our heart because change doesn't happen from the external, internal. It happens from the internal and then goes external. You follow me here? That's what this whole Sermon on the Mount is teaching. Hey, you can keep every law that was given in Leviticus, and that does not mean you've come to Christ, right? Right? There are many moral people out there that don't know Christ that are not going to see heaven because you don't get into heaven being moral. You get into heaven seeing what Jesus has done for you on the cross and the blood he shed for you and placing faith in what he's done for us. Amen? That's what gets us in, not our own works. He says, Is the body not more than clothing? And then verse 26, he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Now, I'll be honest. There's like a, a new age culture of that verse that sings that verse to say that God's just going to bless us. right? Are you not more valuable than the birds? You'll be rich. I don't think that's what that's saying. I think Jesus is primarily writing that to people or, or saying that to people that are giving everything. And they're saying, man, if I do this, how am I still going to be left over and have enough? And he's saying, don't be anxious about your life. Listen. God won't give us more than we can handle, right? But he, he's, he's going to do things that are hard in our life. And he's going to ask us to do things that are going to challenge us. And that's all to make us more like Christ. And I think money is one of those things. I don't think it would be faithful for us as a church. And whether you're part of our church or not, if there's an external person, I don't think that if they haven't given money over to God that they've given their heart over. Because we can't give our heart to God as we began with and say this area is off limits. Anytime we say this area is off limits, we need to ask ourselves, have I truly surrendered to God? And then we take next steps from there. Because if we don't start with giving our life to Christ first and we flow from the outside in, we miss a ton of what Jesus taught, which is that when he has our heart, we will naturally grow from the inside out. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together and we'll be done. Father, we love you. God, we're thankful for the cross. We're thankful for... Your word, Lord, and I just pray now for, God, the people in our church. God, I pray that we would be a generous church. I pray that we would be a church that understands money for what it is. God, money's important. But, God, money's not everything. And I pray that you would help us live in that tension. God, I pray that people that give so faithfully to our church, God, that they wouldn't do it out of religious duty, but God, that they would do it as an overflow of them having your heart. And God, I thank you so much for the people that do that. God, I pray for the people that maybe that's an area they just have pushed away and not thought about. God, I pray that first of all, you would enlighten their heart to your goodness and what you've done for them on the cross. And God, I pray that that would be a driving aspect of God, them not putting themselves next month where they can't pay their house payment, but God, that you would become so important to them that they begin to make long-term decisions so that they can honor you with their money too. God, help us just be faithful to you. God, we want to obey you. We want to serve you. God, we don't want to ignore any area. God, your blood that you shed for us on the cross, God, cause us to give you our whole life back in return. And so, Lord, help us be faithful in doing so. God, thank you for these people here. And God, thank you for your word. We love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys so much. We'll see you next Sunday.